The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, that was a good way to open the winemaker. And it didn't spill. <laughs> no, not a bit. Well, and hey, no everybody. equipment well, damaged. Welcome away to, from the computer. Uh, it all worked yeah, out. Yeah, keep it away from uh, b- the board. glasses on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, hey, I'm John Myers. I'm here, with, uh, as always, with uh, Sam Katuri and Brian uh, Casey. How, how are you guys today? What's oh, going on? doing well. Uh, yeah, I've got, I stole your mic today, didn't I? And we, Bart's on assignment. At, We've replaced him with three very um, capable winemakers. I, I, I think so. We have Amy Bess, and you have started Wow, which is women-owned wineries. Well, why'd you do that? Well, what what made you start this whole project? Yeah. Um, so this was last fall, um, and I had I had spent eight years sort of helping to manage a, a boutique winery here in Sonoma. And, you know, there was sort of this rising interest in women's work and, uh, and uh, really a, a need for, um, I think, um, more attention given to that. Um, so I had, been, I had been doing some freelance writing in the wine industry, and then when the wildfires broke in early October, um, I just sort of had this, as many of us did, just... Uh, empty space. Um, I'm the kind of person. I'm going to say, yeah, and and I'm the kind of person who kind of needs something to, um, you know, a bone to chew on. We'll say. Um, and and I started working on this project. Um, I wanted to support the community, um, so I started with the wineries in Sonoma, um, and started documenting all of the woman-owned wineries in Sonoma County, and just wanted to be able to give consumers a way to. Um, spend their dollars, sort of vote with their dollars, and give their money directly to these hardworking women. Um, and I thought it would be good for the community. And as that got, <laughs> thank you, Sam. <laughs> uh, the champagne is beautiful, Lulu. Thank the you so much. Champagne is being poured. I, re- I realized. I realized that I did not introduce Katie Wilson from Larue and Lulu McClellan from Handley. And uh, so, and you, you, that were beautiful. Amy had flow going. She was talking about her thing. And, uh, as in true winemakers fashion, uh, the bubbly started getting passed around. It's, uh, and now we're totally off topic. (laughs) No, no, we're not. No, she was inspired. And that's the whole thing. And, and expanding from Sonoma. Pour some for Amy here. Okay. And and while you're doing that, I'm curious. So with that research that you were doing, what was the percentage of winemakers that were women in Sonoma County? So Sonoma County actually has a higher percentage of um, woman-owned wineries, because uh-huh. that's really what I was documenting, um, than, than most in California. And California has a higher percentage than most in the nation. Right. So Cal- um, Sonoma's, is, um, Sonoma's percentage of lead women winemakers is something like 12 to 15%. Whereas in the rest of the country, it's something like eight to ten percent. 
Um, so we're doing okay here. And that was, you know, that was sort of a point of pride, um, you know, when I was making the list initially. And as I got sort of feedback on the list, um, you know, I, I sort of realized that it could be something bigger that I, I should do a nationwide list if I could. And that's what I've done since is in June, I published a nationwide so list. So your numbers of t around 10% mm -hmm. um, are winemakers, correct? Or, or or is that oh, owners yeah. of the? I want to ask. I want to ask about that because um, I know there's there are organizations. You know, the, there's women and there's other wine women connected organizations, and um, and you specifically we're talking about women owned wineries, um, not specifically like you know lead winemakers that are women or or however you know other sort of places in the industry um so I, I, what was the idea there i, I mean I, I, it's one of the things that was always so interested about the organization is it's not just you know we hired somebody but this is actually like your you know you own this um so would you talk about that a little bit sure so the original purpose of this project was to give consumers an easy way to give their money to women in the wine business and so in order to do that, I had to identify who the female wine entrepreneurs actually are. So, you know, I certainly appreciate the women in wine, like my, my female colleagues who don't own wineries, and we all know that this industry is lifted by, by hardworking women who are not owners. Um, I feel like um, the uh, women, having more women in charge um, we would we would do a better job of advocating for all women. So um, by supporting the women at the top, you're actually supporting all women. Um, so does well, that answer the question? Well, even goes further yeah. than that. How does it affect the rest of the culture and the rest of the people? Yeah, that's a big <laughs> question. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm drinking fabulous champagne made by a woman who owns the winery. Okay, that's how it affects me as a consumer. It's <laughs> fabulous. I love it. And uh, it's Brut, Ro Brut Rosé from Handley. Yeah, I mean, that's the idea is to talk about it. So, Well, I, I think that um, by, you know, when, when more women are in charge, um, you know, again, it, it starts to affect policy. Things like, you know, um, family leave or sexual harassment issues or... Um, you know, gender gender pay, um, the gender pay gap, all of those and issues. And that still exists today after all of the work that everybody has done over the last 20-some years. Of course. Gender pay, it's still about 70%, right? Yes. That sucks. I mean, it's just stupid. I it's, mean... No, <laughs> equal pay, equal job, that's that. And and look, I've been well potty trained by my wife, you know. I mean, she well, she's in network of executive women for all these years, and I'm, I want her to make as much money as she possibly can. Why would I want to see my daughters make seventy percent of what they could in a good job? It's just really, I mean, a it, bad bad karma thing needs to change. It's it, and there are so many well-meaning people like you, and, and so many, you know, conversations that emerge and articles that are written that um, you know in, in which these ideas are expressed. Where it seems like we're getting there, and it seems like we're on the right track, and yet when you look at the numbers, like the ones that I've been examining, 
we're not there. So, so until we put women in charge, more women in there charge. There you go. Bingo. And, and the way to do Bingo. that is to vote with your dollars. And so um, I'd like to invite your listeners to go out and buy wine from woman-owned wineries. There you go. <laughs> it's a whole idea yeah. right there. Um, and diversity and inclusion always makes for better teamwork and more profitable companies across the board the studies have been done and it shows that when you have diverse work groups um there there was a comment that i pulled off the internet that was basically uh women making up a half of the wine buyers and yet still it was a bunch of old white guys who were running the wineries etc and it, that's changing, obviously. So should we shift a little bit? And you keep commenting to uh, Katie Wilson uh, from LaRue and to uh, Lulu McClellan. Welcome. Thank you for being on the show, ladies. Thanks for having us. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, quite quite a drive from uh, Philo, I think. Um, so thank you. Yeah, that's where huge. exactly? I know you said it was a two-hour drive from Mendocino. It was a two-hour drive to here from Philo, which is in Mendocino County, in Anderson Valley, which maybe not all your listeners know of. Oh, we the, know Anderson it's, Valley. Yeah. It's, a, it's really like one of the great wine country drives going from Cloverdale to the coast on that. It's at uh, 128? Mm-hmm. Um, it is. It's you know, rolling hills, amazing giant old oak trees, you know, and not you know, a fraction of the development as you get in Sonoma real, real and Sonoma and Napa. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you can stop at uh, Anderson Valley Brewing and have some of the best beer going in the middle of it. So it, really, the drive through Anderson Valley, and then at the end, you're on the Mendocino Coast, which is uh, heaven. So yeah, we're trying it's to definitely, um, there's some things out in Philo that are happening. Um, so I'm stoked to have you here because um, it's a place worth exploring and, you know two hours whatever it's not that far no not yeah. at all i mean I, it used to take me an hour and a half to get to work in chicago right. <laughs> and an hour and a half back so no two hours is no problem and there's How a lot more fun things other than work on the other end of the drive uh when my mom started the winery in 82 she was the fifth bonded winery and now there's a couple dozen um really beautiful mostly pinot noir focused wineries in anderson valley so it's a great place to visit, and I don't recommend it as a day trip. You should spend the night. No, we want to find a place that's dog-friendly. You met Molly the Corgi, and we need a place for her. We, no, <laughs> she's not good overnight on her own. So, uh, Nonetheless, I'll be up. I can guarantee that. So fifth, what, what are the, uh, the five before Handley? I mean, there's not a lot. Go- I, I mean, I, and 12 is actually less than I thought there would be. It seems like you drive by... A couple dozen on the road. The yeah, road there's, in. now there's more than two dozen. Okay, there is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so and um, <laughs> I always forget what the fourth one. It was uh, Ed Mead's Hush, Lazy Creek, um, and I just can't remember if Navarro was there before us. Was it right? Yes, thank you, Abe. <laughs> so yeah, and then um, we were number five. Wow, I mean that's the way back uh, as far as I mean even the 81 you said 82 82 California yeah. I mean you know you think Judgment of Paris is 76 um, that's when it all really started rolling and there was this 
push to you know open new wineries um you know my dad started farming in the 79 organically katuri winery is 79 i mean this is uh, you know the beginning of mm-hmm. of it all right yeah. cool. doesn't rotor source a lot of their fruit from anderson valley as well yeah for they, their they own a lot of vineyards in anderson valley and their uh, winemaking facility is in anderson valley and their tasting room Okay, so that must be the the big daddy. They yeah, there. they They're really like kind of were the first person or the first winery to put it on the map, I'd say, um, by mm, lending their accolades to uh, the the area and saying that it was a good region for sparkling wine. Right. And just a tiny tiny correction, we're not drinking champagne. I'm my mother would just die if she could okay. hear this. Lovely. We're drinking sparkling wine that is Calistar. made in California sparkling wine, John. See, now this is from spending too much time in France, okay? Um, and but it is made in the traditional style. Um, and so when my mom first planted her her grapes in in the 80s, uh, she wanted to do all sparkling wine. Um, but then there was sort of this obviously second wave of Anderson Valley, which was the Pinot Noir um, craze. And so now that's... I don't mind that. I love Pinot. <laughs> Absolutely love Pinot. Did you see Costa Brown sold to Doc Horn? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, wow. It, yeah. Mean, this is just, yeah, we, it's a lot. That's a whole show in itself uh, right there. Several. <laughs> well, I think that is uh, something that when I found out about that, Talking with my staff, it's um, we're becoming so few and far between wineries that are still owned by the family that started them. Um, and well, the Benzikers were very good friends of all of ours, us, and they were the big one around here. Mm-hmm. You know, family owned, family run. I'd see Joey, I don't know, three, four times a week. I bought imagery. I, you know, it was a it was a, a yeah. big thing. It was family owned. Um, Not anymore. Th- Maybe, and I don't know, have you done a cross-section um, between sort of the f- still remaining family-owned wineries and uh, how, men- how many of them have a-, a woman in charge or in you know, an executive position? Yeah, looking at the table right now, you know, aside from a little bit, I brought a bottle of, of the Abbott's Passage from, you know, Katie Bunchu's project, and, you know, that's as far as family-owned wineries goes, you know, as far back as family-owned wineries go. Um, and, you know, that's a place where clearly that transition is happening. Is there, uh, I think for all three of you to say, is that something that you see more often? That, like, once these wineries become more corporate uh, commodities, that that connections, those connections are broken? So I'll say that is definitely something I've tried to analyze on in the directory. The directory, by the way, now has 530 wineries across the United States. Um, and obviously, there's just so much more of a drill down you can do on that data. And I'm not a data analyst by profession. So um, although uh, I've been well, in cahoots play one with on some... TV. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> on the internet, I play one. Um, no, I've, I've, I've been in cahoots with some wine industry data people who have been helping me. Um, and, and one of the things I've been looking at is... Um, how many of those family wineries have been bought by corporate um, conglomerates and how many of them are still run by women in, uh, you know, on a day-to-day basis. And I think one of the reasons I was drawn to, to go visit Handley last week um, was because Lulu is, um, is second generation and she is, you know, involved in the everyday operations of the business. And I, um, 
that is definitely a, a prerequisite to be on the list. Like an owner who, um, a, a female owner who is not involved in the business, who is, you know, um, you know, over here doing something else would not appear on the list, um, which sounds arbitrary, but, but I'm looking for working female owners. Um, and I've also broken down the list um, to identify 100% female owners. Um, and that would be like, like Katie Wilson, who owns, you know, not, not only makes wine for other brands, but owns her own brand, LaRue. So, yeah. That's what it's all about, building a brand these days, isn't it? Um, the Prisoner has sold several times. Uh, I, I just bought a bottle of his new locations wine. It's just, you know, those uh, bumper stickers that you see that are basically from Europe um, in origin. But this one just says CAA on it. California, that's it. California Red Table Wine. So I believe the description... John, can I um, interrupt you and ask Katie which wine I should pour first? Because she brought two wines. Please, yeah. um, important things. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, pour the Sonoma Coast Pinot first. It's okay. a 2015. Yeah. Brian, you got a glass? See, now... I will get one. I just went ahead and poured it. <laughs> so, I'm I all, know. I'm, gonna, I'm already into it's, it. It's so. your house. You can pour it. You can do it. Yeah, now. It's, it's, <laughs> but... Katie, this is delicious. It's Thank you. beautiful wine. Thank you. So, um, you know, let's talk about land for both of you <laughs> folks, okay? Um, Lulu, what, what, is, what are your vineyards like? Um, soil type, uh, heat, cool, fog, above uh, cloud level, what? Um, we have, we have our estate vineyard that was the first planting that was planted in the eighties and has subsequent plantings and that's on the valley floor. It's at a hundred to 200 feet elevation, um, in the cool end of Anderson Valley. So it's below the fog line. It's 10 miles as a crow flies from the coast. So it totally gets the fog. Um, it's clay soils. Um, yeah, but it's, it's good. It was all pasture land prior it was cattle ranch, um, apple orchards, kind of a classic story in Anderson Valley, uh, the evolution of agriculture there. Um, and then we also, my family owns and Hanley Sellers uses all the fruit from the vineyard that my father planted in 2000 that's up above the fog line, equally distant from the ocean, um, but extremely different fruit. Uh, it's at about 1,000 feet elevation and rarely does the fog touch it. And it has very thin um, difficult soils. Um, the different vineyards have different clays in them. Um, but it's just extremely hard to farm. It's some of the parts of the vineyard are like 30 or 40% grade. Um, you don't want to be walking down it. Um, so does that, is that qualify? Is that the Yorkville Highlands or is that a different part? No, of, not, not, okay. not at all. So the Yorkville is in the southern eastern part of the valley. And technically the Yorkville Highlands is not part of the Anderson Valley Appalachian. Uh, okay. And that is um, political <laughs> and sometimes arbitrary. But it's, it's a very different climate than where we are. Uh. We're at the north end of the valley. Um, Yorkville doesn't see any coastal fog. They're at a much higher elevation. They're 10, 15, 20 degrees hotter. 
Um, last night up on the ridge where the vineyard I'm speaking of, we were, we had 70 degree weather at 10 o'clock at night, which is extremely rare. Yeah. Normally we're getting into the fifties every night and certainly on the Valley floor, we're in the fifties or sixties. So really ideal for Pinot and the Alsatian varietals that we grow and, and Chardonnay. Yeah. Can, can we get into that? So, so besides making the sparkling wine, what other still wines are you producing? Yeah. From our estate, we, we produce, um, multiple Pinots. Um, as well as Gewürztraminer, as well as Chardonnay, all certified organically farmed since 2000. Not as long as you guys, Sam. Um, and then we. Oh, so you're doing your own um, farming. So you don't have a vineyard uh, company that's coming in, or, or we we do not have a vineyard company that's coming in. Um, for the vineyard up on the ridge, we use a little bit of vineyard management, but it's mostly all in house. Nice. Um, and then we also purchase fruit from other vineyards in Anderson Valley and over the hill in Redwood Valley. Um, and the reason being, we kind of make what I call a whole pantry, uh, winery. You know, we, most of our business is direct and our club, our tasting room. So we want people to be able to have, um, kind of every kind of wine that they would want in this region. And so the Syrah and the Zinfandel that we make very small lots of are coming from Redwood Valley. Um, and everything else that we make is a few hundred cases. Um, and then the Pinot and the Chardonnay are um, uh, one to 2,000 cases. And you have the production facility to do not only still, but sparkling as well? Or are you doing no, that at... Uh... We, we send the sparkling out to Ployer, um, okay. which is a little rack and riddling place. Um, yeah. And we, we used to do it before I was born. My sister, who's eight years older than me, remembers um, like turning the bottles, the wow. quarter turn. Little hands are good for that. Total, <laughs> seriously, like kids and uh, good for, 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 for the champagne. I'm yeah. not joking. Sure, no, I mean, note fun, to it's, self. <laughs> There's different rules when you're in the family. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> But what was the real passion? Was it sparkling wine that they kind of started with and then well, branched yeah. out? So my mom's, um, my mom and dad moved to the valley in the 70s. And my mom's first friend and mentor was Hans uh, Kobler from Lazy Creek. He started Lazy Creek and he really turned her on to the Alsatian varietals. And so that's why we planted the Gewurz. But it, Gewurz is traditional in Anderson Valley. I just was um, speaking with Zach from Hush and he was telling me that in the 70s, because their, their vineyards have been planted since the 70s, that the Gewurz subsidized the Pinot Noir production wow. because Gewurz was so popular. Um, People probably made it a little sweet. and It was yeah. very sweet is what I've been told. Um, so, yeah. and But most of the first plantings were all sparkling wine clones. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that shifted uh, in the 90s to being predominantly we stopped making sparkling wine this is a 2016 brut rosé and we haven't made one since two th- or sorry this is 16 we haven't made one since 2006 so it's been a 10-year gap oh and no plans to well this is the plan yeah so we made a 2015 blanc right. de blanc and 16 brut rosé we took a break for 17 and we'll see what happens next so you're just letting the fruit talk is that what's going on or is it more oh, I work? Wish, or I wish I could say we were just letting the fruit talk, but there's the marketplace too, okay. you know? And so we're seeing how this does and um, how it sells and how people respond to it. Um, it's pretty difficult to uh, make sparkling wine and make any profit on it. It has so much more investment in the yeah. bottle. Yeah, I know. We've I, talked about this yeah, with it was uh, actually Chris just listened, from I, Under the Wire. And, yeah. and, and I finally got my wife to listen to a podcast our podcast and that so that one because she loves Chris maybe more than me um, and 
re-listening to that part. I didn't catch it as much. I was probably distracted or talking or thinking of the thing I was going to say next when he went through that part about uh, just the the economics of making wine for sparkling as far as your return from, you know, from the press, from, you know, the when you pick the grapes, how you pick the grapes, on to, you know, the amount of time it takes. It's, it's, it's intense. Yeah. Well, and not only that, look who she's competing with. Right. In Anderson Valley. I mean, you're competing right. with a huge mm-hmm. company like Rotor that can sell their bottles for, what, $18 retail in the stores? Yeah, they um, have a totally different economy of scale going on. Of course. On, so. <laughs> but it also, they, um, them being there promotes Anderson Valley as a, a region that c- can make serious sparkling wine. So I don't right. see it as a detriment, but it's all about being part of the package. And for us, deciding to make sparkling wine was, so my mom retired in 2015. So we made the Blanc de Blanc in 2015. And it was a returning to her story and um, kind of reinvigorating that part of our our brand. And even if we're not making money on it, it's something we want to do because we love it and we love being able to offer it. And I like drinking it. Everybody likes drinking bubble. Yeah. yeah. That's my favorite business well, model. Well, you know, you can, you, can, you can get... We don't sell it. I'll just drink it all. Fine. You can get <laughs> don't a, buy it. Fine. You can get a fast food hamburger and it's a hamburger. Or you can go to the girl and fig and pay more, but it's handmade and you know where the, that the beef is good and didn't come from 80 cows from China or whatever. Um, you know, I mean, it's just... It's, but it's, the great it's, thing about sparkling wine is that it would be good with that fast food hamburger or the girl in the <laughs> hamburger. But the quality... I thought that's where he was going with that. When he said a burger, I thought, man, sparkling wine with that burger would be really good. But no. I, I was just listening to um, an interview with my mom from the 90s that we dug up in the trenches. And um, they, they, I, remember, I wonder if you're going to ask us this question, but the interviewer asked, um, what's your desert wine, desert island wine? You know, if you can only drink one wine for the rest of your life. And of course, that's like... That's usually our last question. Yeah, you can't answer that. But her answer was Brut Rosé. I think that my wife would say the same thing. She's a huge Gloria Ferrer fan, so she, and I and I love her to death for that because it cost me sixteen dollars to make her happy <laughs> instead of buying the Krug and the uh, Dom. But um, so so sparkling wine, kind of hit or miss depending on um, the year. All the other varietals put together. What's your total production? We um, it depends on the year, but right now we're at between eight to ten thousand cases a year. Nice. We were up to about 25,000, and that's the facility that we have. And wow. so we're, we're in a, a state of uh, looking at what we should be doing and what kind of um, production we should be doing. We make other people's wine, so we fill up that space that way. Right. And yeah. most of it you said direct to consumer, so you've got what a, a wine club going, and then you're, mm-hmm. you've got some restaurant placements the as well. The seller club. The Cellar Club, yeah. You can join our Cellar Club and get a few shipments of wine a year. Um, You can come to our tasting room. We're open seven days a week. We have a website, phone orders, and then we also distribute as well. Seven days a week. You you are working hard. You really are. No time off. No rest for the wicked, huh? Just like people, want, people want to buy wine every day of the week. You sell them wine every day of the week. <laughs> I drink wine every day of the week, so that makes sense to me. <laughs> Now, to get back to um, a little bit of, of the women-owned wineries, have you experienced any difficulties being a woman that a man would not in owning and running a winery? Um, well, that's a great question, and 
I don't know. I, I'm, I'm fortunate in that I grew up with my mother as my role model, starting, owning, running a winery, and being the winemaker. Um, and she certainly, one of the reasons why she did it was because she was tired of getting paid less than the people she was managing. Um, but, and that was the 70s. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that's not still happening. Um, but I think being a young woman in the wine industry and is, um, yeah, presents challenges, uh, taking myself seriously. And I think, to me, that's a big part of... Um, it's not necessarily uh, people acting toward you in a certain way, men acting toward you in a certain way, or women acting toward you in a certain way, but there's a deeper entrenched um, aspect of being a female in charge. And we need more role models for, for girls and for women who are in charge so that girls and women believe that they're, they should be in charge. Um, so I think that's, it's more of a, an internal process for me. That's a wonderful answer, and I truly believe it. I mean, it should be 50-50. You know, that's the population, right? Well, f frankly, uh, you know, if it was fair, it would probably be more women in charge because <laughs> they're going to do a better job. Well, they actually, at, at, you know, at, at my ad that. agency, out of 25 people, we had 18 women. So that tells you that women did a better job in my business than the guys just because they want. I had women who were hungry. They wanted to do the work. They took the initiative. They made it happen, and they produced great work. And made we all made money. That's that's exactly what you want out of it's a business relationship. It's a Bob Weir song. Man smart, women smarter. It's, it's not. It's pretty simple. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> well, let's switch to Katie for a minute. Now, hey. that, now, that we're, now that we're drinking your yeah, wine. Sonoma Coast was delicious. I'm Beautiful, about to pour, yes. start pouring the next one. Nice, thanks. And the next one. Tell us a little about, you went through the Sonoma Coast, and we do have another uh, woman in the house, another woman executive. Joan just uh, showed up, so she's been making a sales grab a call. Glass, grab, a, grab a glass and come on over. I so. <laughs> Well, yeah, Katie, can you tell us just a little bit, are you, uh, you a Sonoma uh, child raised here? Uh, what's, your, what's the history of you in, uh, with wine? Yeah, definitely. So I actually grew up in the Central Valley of California. So my parents own a very small walnut orchard, uh, 15 acres. And um, my parents um, still live there now. So they lived in Manteca. If anybody knows where that is, it's just about an hour and a half from San Francisco. You used to have the water slides. Yes, they're nope. not there anymore. I <laughs> I've never actually met Katie's dad, but I'm, I'm a huge fan. He has probably my favorite Instagram account going <laughs> called Katie's Dad, uh, which my I highly... Are very sad <laughs> I'm about sure that. they're so jealous. <laughs> I've always wondered about that. I was like, is there some drama there in the Wilson household? Uh, but I highly recommend following Katie's dad. You know, Walnuts... Puppies, puppies, uh, you know, puppies. cement projects. It's, it's fun stuff, and and, and it's it's just hilarious. Barbecue, it's, yeah. Okay, so you yeah. grew up around farming. Yeah. So um, my my I grew up farming uh, walnuts, and my um, so I always was interested in in farming, and um, I learned how to drive a tractor when I was like twelve, and my dad taught me how to weld when I was around the same age, and just everything was very hands on and. 
Um, one of the things my dad always told me as well was, uh, you can do anything any guy can do and don't ever let anybody tell you otherwise. So uh, I grew up really um, having that confidence and not, not thinking about like, oh, there is that discrimination, which totally still exists out there. Um, but I, so I um, went to Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. I started with agricultural business as my major and my freshman year um, at Cal Poly, I was um, in Ag Business 101 and they were talking about different things you could do and uh, they started talking about wine. I was like, that's it, I know what I wanna do. <laughs> so uh, for me, my parents didn't really drink wine growing up, they totally do now, um, but. <laughs> Proudly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they, um, but so for me, it wasn't just like, oh, you know, drinking wine. But for me, uh, learning about winemaking in that Agribusiness 101 class was, they're talking about, you know, it is farming first and foremost, but then you're taking something that you grow and you're creating something completely different after that. And it's something that changes every day. Uh, wine is definitely alive like you could open these same bottles tomorrow they'll taste different yeah. and you, there's so many decisions made along the way that changes how it comes out and it is that nice balance of creativity and chemistry and farming and then just having it a good lifestyle <laughs> it's a living thing and it's it's wonderful it's just farming yeah so what was the first job out of school then? So I, well, while, while I was going to school, I, I started doing a double major. So I have a degree in wine and viticulture as well as agricultural business. And I, while I was in school, I worked on a thousand acre vineyard in the Central Valley. That was very tough work there, um, doing uh, leafing and um, pressure bombs. So, you know, testing, just doing all sorts of things. And um, and then I uh, worked at a tasting room in Paso Robles for two years while I was in college as well. So kind of wanted to learn that side That's of everything. That's a nice little place too. I yeah, like yeah. I worked at Eberly Winery. It's a great little place oh, yeah. there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and um, then after that, I went to, I um, came and worked my first harvest at Testarossa in Los Gatos. And then I traveled to Australia and then back to worked in Napa and then to New Zealand. Wait, how do you get hooked up in Australia? How does that happen? Um, I... I think through that job, it was um, it just references through people and, and they put people post ads. So I worked at Torbreck Winery in Australia. Seriously? In yeah. Yeah. That was in 2006, a long time ago. <laughs> and did you like the lifestyle there? Yeah. It's, Australia is great. It's yeah. beautiful. I went skydiving over the Great Barrier Reef. That was cool. <laughs> nice. nice. And then, but the then you decided to come home and, and take some of that knowledge and, yeah. and then, then started working where? After, um, after Australia, I worked at uh, Joseph Phelps in Napa in sure. 06 Harvest. Okay. And then I went to New Zealand and worked at Craigie Range. And then came back and started working at Flowers Winery on the Sonoma Coast here. And that's when right. I first um, got to know the vineyards that I am working with now for LaRue. The and, Pinot Vineyards? Yeah, yeah, and that area. And um, just west of Sebastopol and in, in Occidental area, like such a special place for Pinot and Chardonnay. And yeah. really that coastal influence. And it really makes pretty, pretty wines. <laughs> We're pouring the, the Pinot Noir Rosé from Flowers, um, by the glass at oh, cool. Sante right now. Nice. Yeah. Just beautiful, delicate wine. Yeah. 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 So I worked at Flowers for two years, um, and left there in 2009 and I, um, started working at Cayman Wines and here in, in Sonoma. And that was also the same year I started Uncle, LaRue. Uncle Bob yep. to, those, <laughs> to, those, to those listeners out there that know him. Yeah. 
So yeah. I worked, yeah, I worked for Robert for five years and um, that was, I started LaRue the same year I started working for him. So. And were you able to use his facilities to make your wine or where are you making the wines at? Yeah. So um, in 2009, when I started, he, um, what part of my job offer was to make my be able to make my own wine in Great. his winery, yeah. which was really cool at the time. But at the moment I was like, oh, I'm not going to be making my own wine. I'm 26. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> and shortly after that, um, uh, Ross Cobb, who, was at, who I worked with at Flowers, came to me and said, hey, you know, I have some extra fruit from some of my vineyards. You should, right. you should start your own winery and, and make your own wine. I was like, all right. So I have, a, I have a, vineyards. <laughs> I was like, so I have a place to make wine. I have amazing vineyards. You're um, out of excuses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, except for no money. You know, there's that. <laughs> right. Well, the money, there's no money yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah, you're not yeah. getting that money back for yeah. a while anyway. Yeah, yeah. so I, I had actually written a business plan as my senior project at Cal Poly, um, which is now LaRue. So I had um, kind of changed it up a little bit and rewrote it and started talking to people about investing. And everybody I spoke with wanted 50% or 51%. And I, I only make 500 cases and I don't right. d- wasn't planning on it, it being bigger. And I was just like, it doesn't make sense. So right when I was about to uh, give up, another winemaker friend of mine came to me and said, hey, somebody did something like this for me once. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to loan you the money. And there's one piece of advice I could give you is don't give up ownership in your winery. Nice. And so he loaned me the money and I've since paid him back, which is good. <laughs> and um, yeah, here I am almost 10 years later. <laughs> and are you just working with Pinot Noir? I make a little bit of Chardonnay from the Charles Heinz Vineyard and just an Occidental. Okay. Um, and that's uh, of the Charles Heinz family. His family has owned the the land since the 1800s and the vines I'm working with are about 30 years old or 30 or 40 years old. Um, Doesn't uh, Michael Cruz make a ultramarine from there? Yeah. His rows are right next okay. to mine. Uh, <laughs> good, good rows. John. Yeah. Those, are, those are good rows. So what's, what's the land like out there for the Chardonnay and then what's it like for your Pinots? Yeah. So they're all, all of the vineyards I work with are very similar. They're really as a crow flies, they're very close together. So, um, the Chardonnay is Goldridge sandy loam soils, um, probably about 800 feet elevation, um, and just really gets that coastal influence. Um, so I'm able to pick with a lot of really great acidity and boy, that coastal influence. You're 10 yeah. miles, um, Lulu from the coast, and you're how far? Um, my vineyards range from about five miles to seven miles from the ocean. And, yeah, and it's amazing what the coast does yeah. isn't it it is it's like you i do i host tastings out at the emmeline and vineyard which is just outside of occidental and i don't schedule tastings before 10 30 or after 4 30 because it's a, it's an outside sitting and you're like <laughs> occidental you're like you could be in fog cool little town yeah i mean it's it's a tiny town and just a sign on the road for, if you're going out to bodega bay or something like that it's just like yeah. up the road May I interject something that um, Katie just brought up a, you know, a a really important um, aspect of of starting a winery, which is like, where do you get the money to start your winery? And um, part of what I was trying to address uh, when I launched Woman-Owned Wineries was uh, the gender-based entrepreneurial gap. So um, one important statistic to look at is uh, that in 2017, women received 2.7% 2.7% of venture capital, um, and men received the rest. So uh, women of color received 0.2% of venture capital. 
So um, women as well like face a lot of, of uh, sort of more nebulous um, challenges like when they go to the bank, they're asked questions that men aren't asked and that sort of thing, and that's all very well documented. And so for someone you know, like Katie or any, any uh, startup winemaker who wants to go and launch their project, um, they're facing hurdles that men aren't facing. Um, or, you know, so it's documented. And so when you, when you support their wines, you're, you're doing something important, I think. Definitely. Well, it's easy, easy to support great wines. And the stakes are so high now. You know, when, when, when Lulu's mom was starting her winery and my dad was starting the business, it was, you know, it wasn't as expensive. You know, a ton of grapes didn't cost $1,000. You know, the, the barrels were less, you know, you were using used barrels. It didn't, the, 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 what the, the hurdles now just to get a product to market financially, it just, you know, the, the costs are huge compared to, you know, even 15 or 20 years ago. What's uh, the old joke, Sam? How do you make a million dollars in the wine business? Yeah, you start with five? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> make a small fortune, with the, start with a large fortune, yeah. And that's, I mean, you know, the, the reality now um, is that raising the money, finding the money to, you know, make wine from scratch is, you know, it's crazy difficult. If you don't have some sort of innate advantage, whether it's, you know, a billion dollars in the bank or a family connection or, you know, you find, uh, you know, you have somebody who's as wise and kind as, you know, as your in investor, Katie, um, and I don't, I don't know, I don't know how you do it without giving up all your control, you know, without just being a com another commodity winemaker. Um, so, you know, definitely, um, you know, 2% of the venture capital and, you know, 2% is probably generous for as far as, you know, new winemaking operations are going. Maybe, maybe not, maybe I'm wrong, but that's crazy. Um, and I'll add that, uh, John Bonet actually just wrote, a pu just published today. Yeah. Did you see that? Um, a pretty scathing and, and very blunt article about, um, economics and winemaking and, and class and how it all ties in. Um, and I, I loved the article and I will say that. Uh, he is the first major critic or the first white male critic that I've seen say these things. And a number of female critics and women of color have been saying these things for a long time, which is there is an inequity there and we all want a place at the table. We all want to just do our work. Um, so, you know, let's support each other to do that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's the perfect message for today. Uh, honestly, and the wines speak for themselves. So congratulations on Thanks. making it happen the way you did. Um, I'm not sure if it's any more difficult than if I were to decide to do it. Um, I don't have any capital sources either. You know, I'm not a dot-com bro culture guy, etc. cetera. Um, if Joan were to start a winery, would, you know, what, what trouble would she have raising capital i mean maybe that's the question for amy if if joan yeah, were to I, I, well, you know i i think that's thank you for asking that because i i now get to say something that i think is really i i think i've heard other women say which is i can't speak for joan <laughs> <laughs> and and because and i can't speak for katie and i can't speak for lulu um and i think one danger of being in this position of, you know, you know, there's this network of wineries that I'm kind of representing somehow, and I don't know how that happened, but, um, you know, I created this directory of wineries. 
I am attempting to sell wine for these women because I think that's important. Um, but I'm not, you know, uh, a self-appointed spokesperson for them. No, um, but you're also the- <laughs> crowdfunding, right? No. Uh, yes. Yes. So, so uh, let me just round out this thought. So I, so I, um, I think it's really important. One of, one of the priorities of this project is to bring forward stories that get hidden. Um, and you know, um, everyone has a different story and there's so many stories that, um, you know, I, that are not mine that need to come forward. So I would never presume to, to tell those stories myself. <laughs> but yes, I am, I'm crowdfunding the project um, because just like any other female entrepreneur, um, I don't have a venture capitalist behind me. Um, <laughs> so um, the, the project is on iFundWomen, which is specifically a, a crowdfunding platform that is centered around uh, funding female entrepreneurs. And that's through July 31st. Um, and you can find that on our website, wowsonoma.com. But that's, that's um, in direct correlation with winemaking or that's just in any area what, as far as crowdfunding you're talking about the crowdfunding right the, so the crowdfunding funds three aspects of this project um it funds the directory um which took an enormous amount of, of energy like months of energy to to create uh, a lot of research it funds the wine club the creation of the wine club which is shipping our first shipment goes out in september um, and the first shipment, you know what, I'm just going to announce it right here, is Tessier Winery, um, Christy Tacy. Um, and we have others lining up um, to ship as well. And, um, and then the third aspect of it is the storytelling uh, aspect. My background is in publishing, so I can't help myself. Um, so I published a story of, of um, Jennifer Reichart and Pedro Shelley. Um, and we've got a, a network of writers who are ready, like biting at the bit to write for the site, um, we just need to pay them. Um, right. so. <laughs> well, let's talk about how do, how do people get access, number one, to the directory? Thank you for asking. So um, at wowsonoma.com um, forward slash the list, uh, you will find that. And um, it is available for a free trial for a brief period. And then it is uh, $15.99 per year. The directory is searchable by um, state. It's searchable by varietal. So, like, if you wanted to find, you know, some obscure varietal in Minnesota, you you could search and find it. Um, you know, all made by by women. And then the wine club. So you said this is just starting. So this is just kicking off for the wine club. So people can go on that same site. There's got to be a directory there where they can go on and and select wine club. And you're going to be offering wines monthly, quarterly, annually, what are, what's the plan? Yes, um, we're shipping every month, which feels kind of crazy, but that's what we're doing. <laughs> we have a great shipping partner, Wine Country Connect here in Sonoma, um, who I've worked with before and just really trusted. Um, so we'll be shipping uh, two bottles at $59 uh, a month, and that includes shipping. Uh, four bottles at 119 or you can do a mixed case for uh, Three forty-nine, and that'll be like a selection, and we ship that in October. So that'll, okay. that'll line you up for the holidays. Okay, and I want to be really clear: these are these are wines that are coming from women-owned wineries, or is it women winemakers, or what is exactly the criteria? They are all coming from women-owned wineries. Okay. Yes. So, so, in so the there directory. could be a woman-owned winery where the winemaker is a man. But, and those are on there. That, is that correct? That is actually true of Handley. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay, interesting. No, I just want to make sure everyone knows exactly what we're talking about. And uh, the um, who's in charge of selecting the wines? <laughs> Thank you for asking. So Brian's angling, uh, <laughs> Brian's angling on a, a guest psalm spot. Do you I can need tell assistance right there. Do you with need a this panel, program? A guest panelist. <laughs> I um well my my East Coast I'm I'm going to be on the East Coast for the next couple of months and so I have a a panel there that that is will be helping me one one friend who helps me lead or not helps me but um who who leads wine tours in France and then um some writer friends who who live over there so just kind of a casual community of people but um I am in the process of of um kind of trying to form like a panel like you know that that would be a little more official um and I have some people in mind for that, but I, I can't, you know, I can't really speak to that right now. Right. So, so yeah. right now it's just sort of the picking the wines that are speaking to you in a, in a personal way. And those are the ones you're going to start with and then work your way out from there. Yeah. And, and I'll say I, I, I don't make those decisions on my own though. I, I right. do call in others. Um, and I, I feel like the decisions are made based on, um, like, um, like I'm, I will be looking to show a sense of range over the course of, say, a year. I would be looking to show, you know, uh, diversity uh, geographically, uh, racially, um, class-wise. Like, I, I want to get, you know, there's a, there's a winemaker down in, in Santa Cruz who um, I met a couple uh, months ago who, like, you know, she's working, like, two extra jobs to pay for her, her uh, wine project, and her wines are beautiful. Um, and I want to include her because they're, you know, she's just, she's, she's sort of, uh, she's, she's like a, a, I think a perfect icon of like a, a working class winemaker. And I think those are the working class winemakers are the ones that get left out of the picture a lot of times. Right. So, so diversity, I think. Okay. Yeah. And, um, can we circle back to Katie? I'm interested in, in how we talk about the rice spivak, uh, Pinot Noir too, yeah. right? And I want to know about the Shard. Why number one? Why it's not here? Yeah, why oh, I'm sorry. Brian is, yeah, we should have probably advanced number, that one. <laughs> Brian number like two. Chardonnay. How do I get some? Yeah, I have. So I only make uh, 50 cases of the Chardonnay a year, so it's almost sold out. The 2016, uh, but it is on my website. Become think, a member, Brian. Yeah, Become think, a member, Brian. Yeah, I think you may. I think it's on the website. You may have to be a member. I can't remember right now. Um, but yeah, so uh, LaRueWines.com is my website. I do have a wine club that you can get guaranteed Chardonnay for that. It's right, <laughs> it's right here, Brian. The 2016 LaRue uh, Vineyard Chardonnay. Um, fresh aromas of orange blossom and lemon zest open up into fragrances of honeysuckle, flint, and wet stone. You can certainly buy it right here off the <laughs> website. Okay, so it's... Katie, okay, will you really, pass me that napkin? Uh, I need to wipe up Brian's bottle. drool real quick. And it, uh, it's at LaRue l-a-r-u-e wines.com very easy to buy yep <laughs> even you can do it <laughs> thank you john <laughs> no but what do you what is your style of winemaking do you think do you you basically every year it's a little bit different depending on the way the grapes are coming in or do you have a particular style that you uh, are a fan of and that you want to make those type of wines yeah i for me i do like every every vintage and every vineyard to speak for itself and um i don't i'm not very um I'm not very a very interventionist winemaker. I do like to be more hands off, um, but I I do hope that you can kind of see my style and my personality coming through in the wines. I am shooting to have wines that are 
very um, approachable when they're young but can still age. So that I loved capturing that really prettiness of Pinot Noir especially and, and that Done. jumps out of your glass and really has that aromatic. And that that's just a, a product of like being very careful about how and when I give the Pinot oxygen and how often I rack the wines and how long I leave it on lees. And, and that's different every year. It's not a recipe. <laughs> There's this really, uh, the really interesting um, savoriness in the the rice spivak, mm-hmm. um, yeah. like right at the finish, there's just this like note where it comes, and it's like uh, some sort of herbal, yeah. Yeah. but like almost like maybe Asian herb. I'm not, I don't, I can't quite. I, I need so to taste it. Again. Asian greek yeah. something like it's something. Like, it's really, it's really intriguing. Yeah. yeah so that's not, the 2014 rice spivak um, that we're talking about, and it is. Um, has about 5% whole cluster in it. And I did the whole cluster on the Swan clone, which we picked very last. And there's also... Um, so you get yeah, a little bit ripe, of that. Yeah, stems. yeah, a little bit of that savory note from that. But I also think uh, Rice Bivac Vineyard is very unique in that it has... It's Gold Ridge Sandy Loam. That's the part that's common. But the unique part is uh, volcanic ash. There's a bit of volcanic oh. ash in the soil. And it always brings a sort of really earthy character to the yeah. wine. And... I, I do hear a lot of people say that there's like a savory, almost salinity in my, not, not totally salinity, but that sort of influence. And I do sometimes think it may be the coastal, you know, fog coming in quite often. But and, not everybody gets that out yeah. from those. I yeah. mean, you know, so A, obviously winemaking, pick dates, vineyard yeah. selection. I mean, those are the things that you're looking for in, in great Sonoma Coast Pinot, but, um, you know, they don't all get them. Yeah. Do you see a lot as of much being difference? Row by row, ten feet away, how yeah, how things taste in, yes. in the end. So, um, clone, etc. Uh, yeah. So, and what clones do you like to plant out there? Yeah. So, rice spivak specifically, um, it's only six acres, but oftentimes we'll pick it in in three different picks, which is quite tedious. <laughs> but <laughs> my father would be so furious. Yeah. <laughs> really, six acres? Okay. <laughs> But um, it, it does. It does have. Uh, it has four different clones there. So it's one one five, six six seven, and Swan, and also seven seven seven. So in the Rice Spivak Vineyard designate, it's um, the one one five, six six seven, and Swan. Uh, the seven seven seven. I typically will put that into the Sonoma Coast blend because it it can be a little bit more fruit forward and um, just different flavor profile. Uh, I really feel like the that the three those other three blocks really give a really beautiful character of and a good expression of that vineyard um but it is there's a lot of variation and you Isn't you do have to pick it separate how that happens? <laughs> yeah. i mean 10 rows away the same yeah. block same clone yeah uh and for me like um one of the things i always think about um growing up on my parents orchard is we had it's 15 acres which is super small for an orchard at least and um I w- my dad and I would always do all the replants every year and and I was always you know taking care of the the young trees and watering them and and I definitely had the I knew which areas of that orchard were had weaker soils or where the for whatever reason the trees were much more healthy or fruitful or um, maybe a little area that's a little bit boggy. And it's like, I think about that often still. It's like, oh, that's the same thing everywhere. Like wherever you're farming, the soils are very all in climate and everything. It just changes. And sometimes that is five feet away. 
Now, was it your decision to uh, go with uh, the French oak and, and age it so long in oak versus stainless? It seems yeah. to be the trend is going stainless. For uh, Chardonnay? Chardonnay? Oh, yeah. Oh. Um, so, yes, for Chardonnay, I really, um, I to me, I like that kind of Chardonnay that has some body to it that's not just all steely and acid and mineral. I like having it's not that little. Seven year long. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and so um, I'm using once used French oak barrels. So you have that kind of feeling of oak and that feeling of the body of the wine um, without having um, too much overpowering oak. And then I age my Chardonnay for 16 months in barrel and I leave it on original leaves as long as I can. And so that's, um, you know, can be 10 months. It can be, you know, 14 months, depending on if they're getting stinky or not. <laughs> but most Brian, you better order. It's only yeah. 50 cases. <laughs> No, I want some of that Chardonnay. Yeah. I haven't even tried it. I haven't even <laughs> seen it. I want some. Actually, I just I just poured a new bottle that was open at the table. And um, this, how how uh, do I pronounce the, the name? It's called Circe. Circe, which isn't Circe Ronan? Isn't that the way you pronounce her name? The, it is. You know, okay. <laughs> is that some sort of... No, no. it's not a double entendre, but I, I kind of laugh at how it turns out. Um, so Circe means gift in sort of like a southern vernacular of, you know, like odd pocket of the south where I'm from. Um, and wait, then, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> stop there. So tell us, where are you from? Uh, I am from a little town east of Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay. So like... Hog farmers. Okay. And I spent a lot of time in the western North, Car- in the western part of the state too. That's where I moved from, Asheville, North Carolina. Oh, interesting. From. Okay, my father's in North Carolina now. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Um, <sighs> I'm gonna have to think of it. Sorry. It'll, Sorry. It'll, it'll, <laughs> no, it'll come to me. It's such a. I tell people from North Carolina where he lives, and they don't even know where he lives. He's mm-hmm. he uh, moved from here, and and he's um, um, married a uh, daughter of a minister. He's now a Southern Baptist. Um, in North Carolina, living right down the street from his church. All right, but, um, but so, the, so coming from North Carolina, well, I've never heard this term before. I've, I've had fried bologna sandwiches. I've never heard this before. <laughs> you are a cultured man. <laughs> I had no idea. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's, it seems to be like more on sort of the coast. My mom was from Atlanta and she used it. And so it seems like more on, um, like maybe in, like in Charleston, there's a shop called Cersei. So like you... You hear it in little pockets. It's not universal, I think. Right. Um, but when it, when I figured out that it was also the games of the Game of Thrones witch, um, I was sort of horrified. Um, but then I talked with like a woman who does just at a party or something. I talked with a woman who does branding, um, like major Silicon Valley branding, and she was like, "Oh no, I think you've got it. Actually, like it's like a powerful figure. So in history, and this year there's a book out." called Circe about that um, mythological, you know, uh, witch, Circe. And it's beautiful. It's by Madeline Miller. I recommend everyone go read it. It's about a powerful woman. (laughs) Well, and how did you get access to this fruit? So tell us, tell us, uh, number one, how do you decide, okay. I think you should introduce this because until I picked up the bottle, I didn't have any idea. Well, this is Amy's Circe. This is Amy's Amy's wine. wine. Circe 2015 Grenache, TC Vineyard from the Sierra Foothills. Right. Um, beautiful label, by the way. And you are the winemaker. I am. Yes. Yeah. So I, um, I got lucky. I think um, being being exposed to all aspects of the business at my previous position. Um, you know, I was there for eight years, and I participated in in every aspect, and really sort of learned along the way. And I did take some winemaking classes too. And um, 
I had I had served as a sort of sort of unofficial assistant winemaker on uh, one of our projects, the Rosé, um, and and really taken an interest in that. I had taken a winemaking class, and and the time came for me to to take the second level class at, at UC Davis, and I looked at how much that would cost, and I looked at the cost of fruit. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, and there was a waiting list for the for the class. Like I would have had to wait like another six months to take it. And I was like, why don't I just make some wine? Right. Like, you know, my my employer did little custom crush batches. He would let me get in there and make a, a barrel. So why not? And um, I had this friend who was willing to split the, the fruit with me. He had a good eye on, you know, kind of a handle on where the fruit was. And this was 2015, so there wasn't a lot of fruit out there. Right. So um, he, when he called me up one day and said, like, I found some, I just, I knew it was kind of nuts, but I just did it. And um, I had, you know, kind of like Katie, I had this business plan in my pocket, sort of ready to use. Um, and it all centered around, you know, the name, the name of the wine is Circe, the gift. Um, it all centered sort of around like this philanthropic um, business model. Um, and it also included a literary journal, which all of this, by the way, is available at CerseTheGift.com. Um, but but I, was, um, I had just published the... <laughs> you can't actually get the wine there anymore because it's pretty much sold out. But, um, but the literary journal is available there. Um, so yeah, the, I found the Grenache. It's actually right across the street from um, Turley up in uh, Amador County. Okay. Yeah. Again, how did you decide upon Grenache? Oh, well, I knew that it was pretty, war you know, like for someone who was doing kind of a first-time winemaking project, it would be pretty workable. Like, right. um, and I think uh, when I had gone up there to look at the fruit, we were told we would get like this old vine batch that, you know, we were kind of excited about. And then when we actually hauled ourselves up there to pick. Um, they were like, oh, no, you're going to take that little, you know, that, oh, that row right there. They pulled and, the bait and switch. <laughs> they did bait and switch us. But um, so it was, there were definitely challenges in that day. Like, um, it, was, it was an excellent lesson. I'm sure I learned much more than I would have at a, at a class with all due respect yeah. to David. <laughs> Possibly, you know, yeah. As Sam said at, at the beginning, before we were, recording um i always try and make sure we're on time and we'll start the process of shutting down here a little bit but I, well i want to make sure that we introduce and reintroduce amy bess and wow sonoma.com is your website and what you're doing for women in general and women-owned wineries and then also Lulu McClendon from Handley Cellars, beautiful sparkling wine. And your insight has been really very excellent today. It's very nice to have you here on the show. And Katie Wilson from LaRue, the same to you. Um, I wanted to ask a question of all of you. Uh, what do you see as the future of women in the wine business. Take it away, whoever wants to talk, but all three of you need to weigh in. Katie, you leave. Okay, I'll start. Um, so I think that right now it's very amazing that we have so much promotion and a lot more awareness of women. My 
dream of the future is that um, we don't need that at some point. At some point, it's just 50% of people are women and 50% are men as winemakers, as owners, as people working in the cellar. (laughs) (laughs) And I, you know, I I dream, you know, I, I have a lot of friends and people who, when you write an article about women winemakers or when you call out women, sometimes people get angry. And I think right now, where we are now, I don't think we should be getting angry about that. I think eventually, like, eventually I would like to be angry about that. Eventually I'd like to be like, oh, you have an article written about um, the best winemakers and half are men and half are women, and that's it. But now it's kind of like, well, you have to point out that there are women and help to change what we have now, which is inequality in in a lot of ways. And um, that that would be my dream. I don't know if it'll happen, but <laughs> it's my dream. <laughs> Lulu, your thoughts? Mm. Oh, that was beautiful, Katie. I agree that it would be really nice to not be having this conversation at all in the future. Um, and for it just to be a, a given that, yeah, that there's no, no disparity between the two genders. Um, yeah, so I don't know what the, what the future is then. Um, I think it keeps getting brighter and brighter. Um, I think there's more women getting into agriculture and, and that that's a really good thing because I, I, I do think that the perspective that different people have um, it contributes. And so whether it's women and men or whether it's people from different areas or a- any kind of diversity contributes to a... Diversity, right. Yeah, the consumer getting a more interesting product um, and there being more dynamic workplaces. So what I want is a workplace where people feel comfortable and feel like they can thrive and that's going to be different for every individual. And so if you have more leaders in charge, there's more options for workers. Amy? I don't even think I could improve upon those <laughs> two statements. Um, I, I just would, would give a, um, I would like reemphasize um, what Lewis said about um, diversity. I was, because the whole time Katie was talking, I was thinking about intersectionality and how, um, you know, when we advocate for women, we're not just advocating for women, we're advocating for, um, it, we're, we're, we're considering a cross section of, um, you know, like how, how does um, race and class and ability and geography and this whole, you know, stack of issues, how does that intersect when you're a woman? And um, I think that's partly why I, I made that statement earlier about not wanting to tell other women's stories because we're all coming from such different places. And I think um, I would like to see us um, feel some kind of unity while still being able to honor our individuality. I think that's my wish, if that makes and, sense. You know, can I just chime in and say, for me, it's all about the, the quality of the product is the, is the end game. It's, it's how is the wine. I'm, if I'm drinking a wine from Mary Edwards and Rocchioli, they're both Sauvignon Blancs from the same area. It's, it's about price, it's about quality. And I think in general as consumers, we like to think that that's our attitude. 
is that it's about the quality of the wine, regardless of who's actually making it. So where is the actual bias coming from is what I want to know. Well, um, if consumers want to go with that bias, um, I'm not going to be able to cite the exact statistic, and I apologize for that. Um, but there is a statistic on my website under the About section uh, at wildsonoma.com, and it comes from Lucia Gilbert, who is at Santa Clara University, who's done a ton of work on this topic, um, that basically um, it points to the percentage of men in the magnum opus, or what or no, the, the, what, is the, what is the publication that I'm thinking of? The, okay, go online and look at the <laughs> statistic. I knew I'd screw well, that up. Where, where is it online? Because I'm on your website. Okay, so look on the about section. Okay, got it. Unless well, I, I took it off, which would be terrible. Just connect. Okay, just scroll and see it, and if it's not there, then I'll just keep talking. Um, but but the, <laughs> the bottom line is that um, the, they have studied that, and there's a there's a document that I'm thinking of that I can't think of the name of right now, um, and the, the percentage of men represented is uh, versus women. Uh, like, obviously, there's a lot more male winemakers in this. It's like a wine competition. That's what I'm trying to think of the name of, and Are I can't think of the name about, of it. Are uh, you talking about proportional to the reputation? representation in the field 9.8 percent women 90.2 percent men more women lead winemakers 23 percent than men 14 percent are listed in the acclaimed wine reference book opus vino thank you yes that's what i was the the (laughs) immediacy of technology there you go (laughs) so that was a long way of saying that that statistic makes it look like women are superior winemakers, which I would never argue, but it, it, if anybody wants to well, analyze you know, it, look, that's a statistic. With Susie Selby and Carol Shelton and Viviana Gonzalez-Rav and you folks today, we're doing our job. We're yes. Constantly, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Gender, race, it doesn't matter. I mean, um, diverse groups are always better in producing a better product, whether it's a business meeting and a business plan or winemaking. And when you have people to bounce ideas off, you know, if you want, God forbid there should be a world full of John Myers, okay? <laughs> or Sam Katori's. I, I mean, sell so much wine if it was a world full of John Myers, though. <laughs> I'm so about that. <laughs> about Brian Casey's? What do you think about that, Brian? They're making up Chardonnay. <laughs> I'm going to say, I, to, to echo what these women have said, we wish it didn't matter. Yeah. We wish it didn't matter. Right. But it does. I would like to add something. So one of, um, I would say that if I didn't come from where I came from and had not only uh, my dad, but also but LaRue is named after my great-grandmother, and she was always someone who told me I could do whatever I wanted in life and to never let anybody tell you otherwise. And, you know, having all those role models in my life, I would have probably given up after two harvests. And because there was, you walk into a cellar and you have to walk in knowing that every guy there thinks you don't know anything and you don't know how to run a pump and you don't know how to drive a forklift and you don't know how to do this or that or this. And you have to prove yourself 10 times harder than any other guy there. Some guy from Australia can walk in and I was like, oh yeah, that guy knows, he knows what he's doing. He's a guy from Australia. Like, of course he knows what he's doing. I walk in, you know, blonde haired girl, they're like, 
oh, that, yeah, right, like that girl would ever know how to drive a forklift or weld or do anything else, you I'm know? sure you can drive a <laughs> I don't know how I'd react, but I don't know if I'd let an Australian drive my forklift. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to say anything else, but yeah. um, one thing that I'm thinking about sitting here and, and talking to the two of you um, is that, and I think you're kind of alluding to this, Katie, is um, you both grew up with, like, outside farming in the land kind of backgrounds. And, and I'm wondering, um, you know, fighting through all that you fought and, you know, doing what you do, how important that is. And, and, you know, maybe one of the keys here is, is even before we're worried about who owns the wineries and who makes the wineries is how we can get people in general and, and especially girls, um, outside farming in the dirt, getting their hands dirty, um, to be ready for whatever comes next. In, in general, I don't know. Yeah, totally. Um, that ties into a few things I wanted to say. One, I wanted to echo what Katie said, that I am only here because my mom forging a path, and, and she was there because her father supported her in a lot of ways and her family. Um, and so there's a lot of um, privilege that comes with me being here. Um, and I'm lucky enough to have grown up in the countryside and, you know, I rode the bus home from school every day and played in the vineyard. Um, so it, it, was in, it was part of my upbringing and we do need more kids having access to um, not only the countryside, but seeing agriculture as a viable um, career choice. Because, um, uh, you know, what you had said, John, that it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what race, um, class, gender you are. If you make a good product, you make a good product. But what happens is that so, who gets to even have the opportunity to make a product um, is really important to consider because there's probably a million amazing winemakers out there who don't know that they are. Um, and so as women, I think, like, similar to you, Katie, that I've worked two harvests. One was in Spain, and um, I was at the bottom of the totem pole, and um, one of my coworkers, who was young male, didn't even want me to lift the crates of grapes. You know, they're, they're tiny. They're like 30-pound <laughs> crates of grapes, and that was really frustrating. Um, so, yeah, the... Over, who gets the opportunity to speak is always really important. And um, as women in the wine industry, so many women probably have dropped out at different times or not even thought it was a viable option because, yeah, if you're going to be a winemaker, you're going to be surrounded by men in the cellar. And, you know, they call them cellar rats for a reason. Um, <laughs> so I think, and then also talking about class and race is super important. Like, who's even getting the opportunity? Like, we talked about access to capital. Who has access to capital? And even if it's a friend giving you that, um, that has to do with your life circumstances as well. And so many people just wouldn't have that, even if they were, like, the best next winemaker in the world. Um, so I think um, you, you're talking about sort of women who maybe fall out of it, uh, you know, as they go along, maybe they meet these challenges and they're like, ah, I give up or, or this is just, you know, ridiculous. And I, another number that I've come across that I thought was interesting is that men and women have been graduating from viticulture and enology programs in equal numbers since like the 90s, um, but they're not reaching lead winemaker positions 
And part of that, I mean, we who knows why that is, but clearly there's there are challenges. So there's there. a glass ceiling in the wine business as well as consumer products. Very, very yeah. definitely, yeah. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to mention, because Sam was was asking about um, you know farming in particular, is that um, you know in the land um, is that when I started this project, I was very there have been a, a number of projects that I've you know sort of looked up to as, as I've gone along the way, and one of them is the female farmer project, which is led by Audra Mulkern, um, and she's been a huge advocate for. Um, for female farmers, um, she's she's worked with the Senate on um, farmers farmer suicide, uh, which has been a, a huge statistic. Um, she's so she's been politically active, but she's also been doing an amazing job of telling the stories of women and the land. So I really respect that. What a great story too! And um, I want to end by going around with all three of you and making sure you give me all of your hashtags all of your uh, how you order your wines and everything else so i'll start with you lulu okay we are at hanleysellers.com and how do you spell that h-a-n-d-l-e-y-c-e-l-l-a-r-s.com and you can order pretty much anything there. Um, and you can also sign up for our wine club, our seller club. We have Facebook page, Hanley Sellers, um, Instagram handle, at Hanley Sellers. And you got a great website. Thank you. Whoever did it, very visual, very easy to get around. Thank you. And we're open seven days a week. We're um, on the deep end of Anderson Valley, closer to the coast. It does feel like the deep end out there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's uh, the beautiful, local lingo is called bootling, and deep end is. Oh, is that? Oh, bootling. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Do you do you have family members who speak boot? I can harp a wee swib. Oh damn! Ah, <laughs> my and you can call the winery at any time, um, 707-895-3876 and we're open seven days a week, uh, ten to six in the summer and ten to five in the winter. And of course, you ship everywhere. Pretty much, yeah. Else does. Yeah, pretty okay. much everywhere. There are some exceptions, but beautiful photography on your website. Thank you. Let me switch over to uh, Larue. Cool. So um, my website is laruewines.com, and it's L-A-R-U-E-W-I-N-E-S.com. Uh, I have a Facebook page, LaRue Wines, or Katie Wilson, which is K-A-T-Y. And then there's Katie's dad. <laughs> and then Katie, Katie's yeah. dad. So Katie's dad's I Instagram. I am now following. <laughs> I did too. Yeah, it's Katie's dad underscore. So it's K-A-T-Y-S-D-A-D underscore. Yeah, he'd be very excited. His name is J.B. Wilson. So. <laughs> and then uh, the... Prou- very proud dad. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then the, uh, my Instagram for LaRue is just LaRue Wines for the Instagram as well. And I, have, I also have a wine club and um, can order wine on my website as well. So. That's beautiful. I, I have to order one of these. What was the... The, the 2014 Rice Spivak. Rice Spivak. That's a beautiful yeah. wine. Yeah. You, you're Thank really you. making something of huge value to me. Thank you. So I love it. <laughs> So, Amy, let's finish with you. Yeah, so Woman Owned Wineries is at wowsonoma.com. And uh, all our um, handles are wowsonoma. So our Instagram is wowsonoma. Our Twitter is wowsonoma. Our Facebook, actually, 
might be woman-owned wineries. So you know what? <laughs> I don't know. Um, um, but, but we're in all of those places. And so you can join our wine club and we'll begin to ship starting with Tessier Winery. Um, we have a Riesling and a Grenache minimal intervention that we're offering uh, starting in September and a mixed case in October. And, um, and that directory where you can find woman-owned wineries all over the country uh, on our website. So thanks. Well, and hopefully we can hook you up with Melanie, who we've had on the podcast before. She just recently purchased a vineyard down in uh, Paso Robles, and she should be starting on her first harvest uh, this year, I believe. Well, she's been working harvest, but not her Shen Blue. Let's 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 go Wow International and, and connect uh, with Nicole Rolay. Nicole Rolay. Still, I can go back and listen to that show and just listen to Nicole talk passionately about wine and and. I wish I had someone in my life like that 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 was as passionate about wine as she is. Um, and I want to get a couple shout outs to to um, uh, Jennifer Bartz, who does last summer Grenache. I don't know if any of you are familiar with Jennifer. All she does is Grenache. Um, always beautiful and and the label is always um, about what she did the last summer. So that's why it's called last summer. Um, sometimes she's in Australia or she's doing whale watching. Um, I want to get a shout out to Casey Graybell. We've got a winemaker dinner coming up this Saturday um, at the Girl in the Fig at Sweet D. Casey, um, who now it looks like, um, I don't know if you guys saw that he is now labeling with the Fist, the Grenache Fist. He has purchased the Grenacheista. Um, so that is um, happening at Sweet D on Saturday night. There are probably tickets still available. If you go to girlinthefig.com, click on the uh, button for Sweet D. And then also um, uh, someone that I work with, Mark, uh, that I'm going to start doing some, um, some tours with as well, owns uh, winezulu.com, who does tours in um, Sonoma and Napa. Um, and it's wine, Z-O-O-L-O-O.com. Um, phone number 707-782-6085. Um, if it's, it's, uh, directed by Psalm. So the only people doing the tour are Psalms taking you to smaller places, um, like Petroni for lunch and like Reprie going to see the, um, um, places that are a little bit off the beaten path. But, um, just wanted to get those out there. Some of our friends, Perfect. some of our friends in the business that are, um, doing things that are coming up, um, want to say thank you to all of you i would i honestly wish that and and hopefully we can do this lulu and katie i would like to have both of you on just by yourself just to talk about your wine and your history because i think um i have so many more questions than um than than got answered today i'll bring chardonnay uh, <laughs> now they know the way to Brian's heart. You actually, All the you actually deserve to be on. And I want to thank uh, Sam, as always, and Brian. You guys are such good interviewers in these situations. And, of course, um, reaching out to Amy Bess was one of the best things I ever did. And so thank you for rounding up Katie and Lulu. This is a, a wonderful show, and thank you for being on. And I want to thank everybody who listens to The Winemakers. Uh, please uh, continue to give us reviews and give us some five stars and 
Oh, and, and I mean, Sam's sitting right next to me, so I'll do it if he's not going to do it. Uh, ABC, ABC. Uh, 16600. Um, uh, Jasmine is uh, uh, Jasmine said hi, by still the way. working yeah. out at the, at the uh, Tasting House, and things are going well, I assume. Things are great. We okay. uh, have anything coming up. Vinyl Sunday, Grenache Day, June, September 23rd. Grenache Day, which Amy and I actually had a little bonding yeah, moment Grenache earlier, found out that next, we actually knew each other next going thing, back to Grenache Day. I just uh, bottled a bunch of stuff. Time. It's all delicious. A bunch of it's Grenache. I'll uh, roll out the new Homage Blanc then, um, pour some of the Oakville, things that yeah, don't yeah. get out a lot. Yeah. Um, and uh, did you guys get the email about Grenache Day from Sandra? Yeah, no, it's just like we're just kicking it again. I, Maybe we'll try and redo the podcast there. I don't know if we can. Uh, uh, Grenache Day will be happening. I don't know if it's going to be a public event. Yeah. Um, but Grenache Day is September. Uh, September 21st, uh, those Rome lovers. We will make it a public event. That's the deal. Okay, good. <laughs> well, thank you, ladies. It's much appreciated. And I'm John Myers for the winemakers. And thank you so much for listening, everybody. Hi, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks.